Welcome to the Rolling Reel with Renard podcast, your compass for illuminating conversations on health, wellness, and human connection. I'm your host, Renard, and today we have an extraordinary guest with us, Chelsea. She's the driving force behind Macro Built, a beacon of empowerment in the nutrition and wellness coaching realm. So the name of this title is Nourishing Souls, Breaking Free with Chelsea of Macro Built. So in this captivating episode, we're going to sit down with Chelsea. She's a certified nutrition expert, a mindset coach, and a fitness educator who wears many hats, including being an anti-fad diet coach, a mother of two incredible kids, and she's not just an athlete. She's a crusader against fad diets, advocating for a healthy relationship with food without the shackles of trends. So, Without further ado, welcome, Chelsea. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, this is such an honor to actually have you here. Prior to starting this podcast, we started having some, you know, just some casual conversations about health, wellness, fitness, and more or less like the trends that are going on. And so I wanted to just go a little off road and just start asking some really candid questions. What in the heck is going on right now as you see it with the world of Health, food, addictions, obesity. It's a very broad question, but I'd like to get your take on how you see the world right now as it relates to women, food, their relationship with it, obesity, etc. Well, I feel like I grew up in the 90s, which was Adkins diet culture. So back then it was everything pretty much that wasn't lean. Protein was bad. Carbs were bad. Treats were bad. Anything that was maybe coined as unclean. You weren't supposed to be eating if you had any kind of goals of being in fitness or having a good body, weight loss, anything like that. So I grew up in that era and that kind of went into and had a big part to play in where my story starts with nutrition. But I think it's kind of switched now to where we are either striving to be in society, I should say, society is is wanting us to strive to either look a certain way as far as like Victoria's Secret models or the complete opposite of being completely unhealthy and grossly overweight and glamorizing that in the name of loving your body the way that it is and celebrating it, which I think is important. But in society, we're glamorizing bad, unhealthy habits, whether it's to be severely lean or the other direction of being completely overweight and the name of just accepting ourselves or trying to be the smallest version of ourselves. Understood. So it sounds like you have a passion about health, wellness, fitness, nutrition. What fueled your passion to become a fitness and nutrition expert? Well, I started getting into fitness after I had my first baby and wanted to quote unquote, get my body back, just like every other mom. And I got into it and loved it. But then after my second, I felt this need to be ultra thin, right? Because when you want to get your body back, you almost want to be a smaller version of yourself to be better than you were before. And growing up in the diet culture, smaller is always better. So I started to intentionally undereat. I was at the time accounting for my macronutrients and my calories. And I was working out really hard 
training six days a week, never taking a rest day other than like running on the seventh day. And I found myself completely exhausted. I was having hormone issues. I was seeing how low I could come in every day on my calories. And I got a phone call from my friend once who was talking to me about introducing more treats to her daughter because she doesn't want her daughter to grow up with this stigma of food labels. And she wanted me to listen to a podcast, actually, about this thing called disordered eating, which I have never heard about. So I listened to the podcast and instantly realized that she wanted me to listen to it because she saw these patterns coming from me and wanted to gently address it. And after I saw my own patterns and habits and realized what I was doing to my body and what example this was going to be setting for my daughter, I knew I had to get it under control and really start fueling my body, especially for the exercises and the fitness that I was doing. I was completely depriving my body of nutrients. And from then on, I realized how important it is for women to accurately fuel your body and focus on being healthy and being strong, whatever that looks like, rather than being the smallest version of yourself. Because it could be in your health mindset, it could be severely damaging. Understood. So you had an opportunity to really dive into the nutrition side when you're looking at the foods. What was the turning point that said, all right, you mentioned before your friend gave you the the podcast, all right? That's just information. What was it about the podcast or the information that was shared that really pushed you over? Because you were marching down a path for quite some time. You're seeing results. You're getting your body at least smaller than it was before. And now you hear a podcast. Something was said to you that triggered you to have a a complete paradigm shift. Do you recall what it was? I think that what it was mainly was in that podcast, it had talked about different habits of disordered eating and what that looked like and what your mindset is. Maybe it's being anxious going to a family dinner. Maybe it's being anxious going to Christmas because food has so much control over you. Or maybe it's finding yourself in this this hamster wheel of being super, super restrictive. So then you binge eat for two days and then you restrict again. So I think that it was more of this podcast spelled out habits that I saw in myself. And then I went back and looked even like what I had been eating for the last six months. And I went and looked at my food logs and saw some days I was coming in three, four, five, six hundred calories less than I was supposed to be eating. And while I knew that while I was doing it, my mindset shifted to where when I was entering that food and had the goal of eating less, it was almost a win because the less I came in under, it was almost a pat on the back. So tomorrow I was going to see if I could even go less calories. Now looking back and really looking at those food logs with a different mindset, I saw how unhealthy those habits were, and I knew that I had to change. And I knew that in the back of my mind, I knew that muscle requires fuel, right, to grow. 
and your muscles being broken down in the gym and repaired and growing in recovery. And without that fuel, your muscles aren't going to grow. And so that's where that mind shift came, the nutrition side. And then once I started really focusing on my nutrition, then that's when it got really fun on the gym side because I got a lot stronger. How so? Physically. I mean, I was, I went from squatting like maybe 115 barely. And then, you know, year later, I'm squatting 175. And I put on like four pounds, but lost nine pounds of body fat. So my body, when I saw how much my body loved being fueled appropriately, we're talking, I probably added six, 700 calories and I dropped like 9% body fat. I was like 9.5, 10% body fat, adding almost a thousand calories. So once I saw what how much my body loved and responded to that extra food, I became aware of how important it was to share this with women and that they can get these results that they want, but it's actually the opposite of what they think that they need to do. Million dollar statement. (laughs) That right there was like the big mic drop moment right there. So you've taken this mindset the experiences, and you're going way beyond what most people would do. So what type of like training and education have you gone through now that you have figured it out with yourself, but you want it to become more knowledgeable? What have you done to become more knowledgeable as it relates to health, wellness, and fitness? So initially, obviously, I just did it with myself. And I actually had what we call a macro count done by another coach who I respect and love, but it's just generated numbers. It was a very passive questionnaire. There wasn't a lot of eating history on it. So when I got those numbers, adhered to them for a while and was supposed to be maintenance to put on muscle and it wasn't. And so I ended up losing more and I got too lean. I got hormone issues and all the things. So really I say that to say, I wanted it to be a lot more personal. So I wanted to be able to actually coach women of my age, women who I coached my mom. She's 67, who lost like 35 pounds. So we're talking about premenopause. We're talking about menopause. We're talking clients with Hashimoto's. Once you are able to do it with yourself, if you take the courses that you need to take and have the experience. I got certified from NASM, my certified nutrition coach, and about a year ago. And I had been working with clients already, just friends and family and that kind of thing. But once I got the education and the certification, I began to really dive into my one-on-one coaching because I felt like just giving someone numbers was really doing them a disservice because... I can give anyone a macronutrient count and they would fail because they don't know how to apply it to their real life. And if that number didn't work for them, like we're not robots. So if that didn't respond well with them, then I want to be in the process to be able to adjust where needed or hold them accountable and be their cheerleader. So I felt like if I kind of was had a broad people that I worked with, 
as well as having my certification, then that would really help me to be the best coach that I could be and make it very personalized for anyone that I worked with. So when you're coaching with a person, you mentioned before macros. And so when you're coaching someone who's brand new and you're talking about macros, can we just back up a little bit and just explain what exactly is a macro? Absolutely. Okay. So a macro is a macronutrient. So your macronutrients are your proteins, fats, and carbs. That makes up all of your calories. So just like with when we were in school and we learned our food groups, same kind of thing, but except for we, instead of putting them in like a dairy or a grain, we're putting them into three fats, proteins, and carbs. So that being said, like if you have four grams of carbs, that's going to make up a certain amount of your calories. Same thing for fats and proteins. So what that means is you have, say a client had 2000 calories they were supposed to eat. I as a coach would break that into what percentage is going to come from your carbohydrates, what percentage is going to come from your proteins, and what percentage is going to come from your fats. So that being said, proteins take up four calories per gram. Carbs take up four calories per gram as well. Fats take up nine calories per gram. So that being said, your fats don't need to be nearly as high as your carbs and your protein because they digest almost twice as slow. So that's where kind of the math comes in as far as what's ideal for hiring a coach. Because when you get this education, then it's a lot easier for us to make the math work when a client is brand new and just accounting for their their macronutrients is going to possibly be overwhelming. So I will give them the baseline of these are your numbers. Let me help you set them up, figure out what split would work for you as far as what percentages. And then I'll go in and basically help them plan out their day how they ideally like to eat. And I work around that and make it fit into their numbers. Okay. So can you walk me through the process of onboarding? I'm jumping a little ahead, but we have someone who is overweight. They have a desire to get better, but they don't know where to start. They've tried all those different fad diets and they've all failed. And so someone comes to you, what does it look like? So initially, I have a kind of a coaching call with this client or potential client, I should say, because sometimes it's just not a good fit. Like if there is a client who wants rapid weight loss and they want to be super restrictive and they want me to sell them, I want you to promise me that I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I can't promise you that. I'm not the coach for you because I don't know how adherent you're going to be. If you're going to promise me you're going to be 100% adherent, I can promise you that I will be 100% dedicated. That's what I'll promise. But as far as results, physical results, if they are looking for that kind of guarantee from me, I don't give that. Beyond that, I usually go into, first of all, their eating history, diet history. Why is that important? Because most of the time I see especially with clients who have a goal of weight loss, there's something underlying there. It's usually not just a weight issue. There's usually an issue of your relationship with food. 
Like for me, it was restrictive. I had guilt around food. Food made me anxious at social gatherings. Some people, it's binge eating. Some people have, it's like this secretive thing to where they'll go and hide and eat as much as they can because they feel like they're never going to have it again or they shouldn't be having it because people will judge them, especially if they're overweight. Some people eat when they're emotional because they don't know how to deal with those issues. So instead of hitting it face on, eating makes them feel better in the moment. So for me, it's really important to, to uncover the habits because that's what we really want to fix because that's what's going to bring the long term changes. It's one thing for me to just give you a certain calorie count. But if, if you have a, an issue with stress eating, and something comes up in life, that calorie count's not going to do you any good because you're going to go back and revert back to your old habits, which is eating because you're stressed. So if we don't uncover those issues first, then I feel like you're always going to be on this hamster wheel of starting over. Understood. So you'll notice that people will get on a diet get off, on, off, gain weight, lose weight. And unfortunately, they never get better. At least that's my assessment right there. So now we're talking about, you know, like these fad diets. So I consider you like the anti-fad diet coach. (laughs) First and foremost, is that a fitting name or label to put you? It is. I don't know if that's the right answer, but it is very fitting, actually. I'm not a fan of the fad diets. Why? What's wrong with them? Anything that has a name, I think, is kind of BS, to be honest. Macro tracking technically has a name, but if you think about it, it's a practice that's been used for decades. I mean, fighters, bodybuilders, fitness enthusiasts, they've all been accountable for their food intake in their training, right? So I think... There's a reason that people are on keto, off keto, on plan, off plan, whatever that means, whether it's boxed powdered food or two shakes a day and a 200 calorie meal, whatever that means. If it's a 30 day shred or whatever, people are always off and on it because it doesn't work. Because if it worked, everyone would be doing it and people wouldn't be on and off diets all the time. And the industry would lose a lot of stinking money because they weren't selling you boxes of shakes and fat burners anymore because they are relying on the fact that you are going to put all the weight back on and then you have to start over. Just like if most gastric bypass patients, right? A lot of them put the weight back on because they don't have the education to know the proper nutrition that got these results because it was a surgery that got these results, not their daily habits. So I made a comment right before you started speaking about fad diets, like fad diets work. (laughs) They work for maybe a week. And as soon as you stop, everything comes back tenfold. It's like, oh, you got rid of me now. We're coming back, but with my friends as well. Here's more pounds on top of your body. How does that impact when you go on a diet? Let's say that you go on a diet for 30 days. You lose 8, 10 pounds. And then you go back 
to eating the normal foods that you were. Of course, and you're going to put back on those pounds, but probably a little bit more. What's the mindset of someone who is on that roller coaster diet? Well, like, what are they thinking? I think it's a scarcity mindset. Because you are restricting your, if you're on a diet, most of the time there's a lot of rules. So either it's no carbs, maybe it's no sugar, whatever it is, no starches, no red meat, whatever that is, there's rules. So you can only adhere to very strict rules for a short time before you're kind of over it. So I think that if you have this scarcity mindset of I'm not allowed to have that, then when your diet is over, the 30 days is over and you can have that again, it's going to be tenfold because you haven't allowed yourself to have that in your life for so long. It's so restrictive. So now you're on this, this roller coaster of back and forth because you've restricted for so long. Then you go and you binge. And then you have to be restrictive again because you have to get your results back that you already lost, that you worked hard for. What about that moderate? You hear people say moderation is the key. Do you believe that? Or how does that apply to fad diets? I think that moderation is can be the key, right? It It all depends on your mindset. Like if your mindset is to be the healthiest version of yourself. And if health is in every aspect of your life, you're not wanting to go and trash your diet because you're going to feel like trash for your workout and everything else. So I feel like if you have the mindset of moderation is the key, I agree with that to an extent. So are the things that I'm doing aligning with my goals? Moderation is the key, right? So like I don't eat only whole foods. I wish that I did, but I know that that's not realistic for me. So moderation is the key as far as like, I still have little treats here and there, but that's okay with my goals. For me, alcohol doesn't really line up with my goals. So that doesn't align with it. So for me, moderation isn't the key for that. I just don't do it, but that's personal. So I think that that's true as long as it is actual moderation. A lot of people aren't honest about the moderation is the problem. When I was working uptown at a bank, the management team, they said, hey, uh, why don't you guys go outside? They're giving away free ice cream to everyone. You know, just show them your badge and you'll get some free ice cream. So all these people start coming over to my office, say, hey, we're going to go over and grab some free ice cream. You want to come with us? I was like... No, I said, I'm good, man. I said, you guys enjoy. And they're like, oh, come on, man. You don't have to eat. You don't have to you know, be so restrictive. And I said, no, they're like, a little's not going to kill you. And I said, why don't I just do crack? A little bit of crack. How is that? <laughs> and I was like, no. I was like, I don't want to introduce that stuff. And I said, and furthermore, I said, the quality of the ice cream is just, it's inferior to what I would buy anyway. I said, I have no idea what they're putting into that stuff right there. And so I'm not going to put it into my body. And so I get judged because of the health choices and the food choices that I make. And so it gets to the point where if someone asks me out for dinner and I know that it's a restaurant that I'm really not that fond of right there and I'm not able to like reput, you know, let's say reposition their decision to go someplace else. I'll eat before I get there and then I'll pretty much just drink in water. That's unfortunately where I'm at. And so there's this obsession with 
food that people have. And it's like the more gluttonous it is, you know, the more savory, the more salty, the sugary the food is, the more addictive it becomes. And for anyone who chooses not to engage with that lifestyle or that food, it's almost like you get ridiculed. Right. It's hypocritical, right? Because we can't sit at the table and go, I can't believe you're eating those cheese fries. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to judge you for gorging. And you can't because you would be ridiculed. Yes. And I'm but not if it's a health choice, it's okay. Yes. To ridicule someone over their decisions. But if I go and tell someone I can't believe that they're eating what they're eating, nachos and all the things, then I'm fat shaming them for a decision that they're making. It doesn't affect me. It's not my calories. That's exactly right. And so, so the relationship with food. I really like this topic because it really talks about the underlining causes of healthy eating, healthy choices, healthy body, or just the opposite. Hey, you actually have diabetes. You actually have cancer. And it's because of the foods that you're consuming. It's like, do you have an idea of what you're eating? It's like, okay, I get it. You got your fats, proteins, carbs, and everything else. But now we need to talk about the quality. Like what else is in that food and how well does your body adjust to that? You know, are they absorbing it? Because you look at the Jenny Craig's and a lot of those fast meals that you can just pop into a microwave, which I'm anti-microwave, by the way, you pop those in the microwave and it kills all the nutritional value. But this seems like the one thing that's left behind are the salts, the sodiums that attach to your body as well. So you have microwave food, which kills all the nutrients, and then it's packaged food. So it's highly, it's packed with preservatives. And then you give that to someone who's trying to monitor or moderate the, the amount of food that they're consuming instead of just binge eating. So they buy these little packaged foods, throw it in a microwave, eat it, consume it, but it's not satisfying enough. So you grab one more. You have to have two at least. So you grab another one and then it's like, okay, I'm good. I'm satisfied. I can't imagine how many, from a nutritional standpoint, what's the nutritional density of that meal compared to all the crap that you're taking in. So people are like, well, I'm going to eat, I'm eating healthy, but it's like, wait a second. There's another type of healthy. That's all the, you know, five inches of ingredients that are in there. Do you do, what are your thoughts about label reading? So I'm sorry for that long tangent about that. But no, that's see. Okay. So this kind of goes into a controversial thing in the macro world. Okay. Let's tackle it. <laughs> there are a lot of macro coaches that are self-proclaimed IIFYM, which means if it fits your macros. So lots of coaches will say, if you go to McDonald's and get cheeseburgers all day for every meal and you can fit it into your calories, then that's great. I'm not the coach. I think that there's a difference in the nutrients that you're taking in versus just counting calories. Because it's still not healthy to be taking in. I think that that negates the whole point of getting educated and learning about nutrition when you're just saying, if it has this many calories, I don't care what you eat. You can have ice cream four times a day. There's no nutrition in that. So mind you, I do have, I have a big shake at the end of every night. It's a big protein shake and it does have chocolate chips on top and it's like 40 grams of protein. But the amount of food that I eat during the day, as well as that, 
is insane because it's such lean, nutrient-packed food. Like the amount of food that you could have of clean, whole foods compared to a little pop in the microwave that's going to make you hungry in one hour is insane. Like you can have probably five cups of rice, six ounces of chicken or egg whites, and three cups of broccoli. And it's this gigantic meal for what is going to keep you full, you know, little Ginny Craig that you put in the microwave that's like five bites of food. So I think that people get so caught up on what the calories are of little pop in the microwave meals. And they think that that's good because it's low cal. But how long is it going to keep you satiated? Is it going to hold you over? Is it actually fueling your body until the next meal? So I think that the you need to be careful to be making nutrient-dense, whole food-packed meals and choices because especially if you are in a fat loss phase, your body is going to be taking in less calories. So if you're doing those little microwave meals, you're going to be starving all the time. That's right. And does that starvation increase the odds of you binge eating? A hundred percent. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're starving all the time, again, growing up in Adkins culture, what they tell you? Drink water. Okay. Well, no, I'm actually hungry. Like I need to eat. My body needs to eat because I just ate this, you know, Ginny Craig powdered mix with water, pop it in the microwave and it's supposed to be a meal. And it was 500 calories, but my body's actually hungry. So two, when you're making those choices, you can't eat again, right? Because you don't want to take in more calories, but your body is telling you that you're hungry. So now we are kind of silencing our hunger cues, which is also dangerous because our hunger cues are there for a reason. Your body has already metabolized that food. So it's smart. It's telling you that it's hungry. If you now are are ignoring those hunger cues, now you're telling your body it's not going to get to eat because you're not satiating that hunger cue. Now, with that comes... If you do that for a long period of time, I have a lot of clients who go, well, I don't get hungry until 3 p.m. That's because you haven't fed your body before then for years and years and years. So eventually those hunger cues go away because you've ignored them for so long. How does your body keep track? So you have someone who is intentionally restricting their their diet. Their body's hungry. It's craving food. And then it finally gets it. What happens to the food does it does your body store store it as like fat it's like okay i'm gathering my nuts for the winter and i don't know when i'm going to have my next meal so i better hoard this in so when someone has let's say a binge eating you know roller coaster diet are they going to take on fat or will their body composition change a lot faster versus someone who's on a more regimented diet Someone who's on a more regimented diet. I shouldn't say diet. Let's say eating eating pattern. Yeah, eating pattern. Their body composition will change, I think, I believe, a lot more drastically because your body is used to having that fuel. It's got to get the carbohydrates and go, I know that this is what I use for energy. Carbohydrates are your fast burning energy. So like before you go to the gym, grab a carb, grab a banana, some rice cakes, an apple, 
because it's going to go through that fast before your workout even is halfway done. So your fats get stored as long-term energy. The reason that fats get a bad rap, I believe, I guess to answer your question, is a lot of times if we sustain from eating because we want to eat less or we want to do this, you know, fasted state. A lot of people don't start eating until 12 or 1 in the afternoon because they want to be doing this fasting. When your body gets so hungry, it's smart. It knows what gives it energy. So it's going to crave, like if you haven't slept well, most of the time all day you're going to be craving carbs and fats, peanut butters, anything like that, rice cakes, rice. It knows that it's going to be using that for energy. A lot of times when you're starving and you wake up, you don't start craving chicken, right? (laughs) So it knows, your body knows what it uses for energy. But if you eat a ton of fats, which is what I see most often in clients, is if your fats are just completely out of control, that is stored the longest. It takes twice as long for your body to burn off fats than it does carbs and protein. So I find that the discrepancy comes in when you're not eating, I guess, in a good healthy eating pattern starting in the morning and two to three hours, whatever it is, throughout the day, and you're only having like one big meal or two big meals. I find that you are twice as likely to overindulge at those meals And they're going to be less protein focused because your cravings at that point will be carbs and fats because your body needs energy. That's the answer that I, I don't want to say hoping that you would say, but that was the conclusion that I came to as well. It seems like when there, it's, it's almost like the temperature in a room, you you can program it and have it auto programmed and it's going to stay constant at. 70 degrees, or you can go in there and fickle around, move things up and down, but you, it's so inconsistent. It's the, the inconsistency is what, in my opinion, causes the volatile responses, like the binge eating, like, all right, I don't have a plan. This looks good. And it's impulse. It's more or less, it's, it becomes impulsive. Like I need to grab this. I'm not thinking about proteins. I'm thinking about carbs and sugars right now. You grab it, you stuff your face with it, and then afterwards you're like, crap, what did I just do? The guilt Then you go into this restrict, binge, and repeat cycle. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have a confession to make to you, Chelsea. (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, Newport 100s to 25 packs, and then I would anywhere from 10 to 15 cigarettes from my friends. I drink a 12-pack of beer with my buddies every single day, and we also polished off a fifth of Captain Morgan's at the nightclub. In addition to that, my mother, loving woman, she would indulge me with a six-pack of king-size Snicker bars every single day. And then without, how can you have a loving mother who just only gives you the occasional sticker bars every day without having a big family size bag of Doritos to binge eat in the middle of the night. And while you're binge eating in the middle of the night and you're in your own little thoughts in the pantry, and then all of a sudden you get disturbed by your spouse. What are you doing in here? And I have my hands literally in a bag of Doritos shoving my mouth. The bag's nearly empty. The crumbs are the good part right there. That's how I used to binge. That's how I would eat. And it was only when 
my arthritis in my fingers because I'm doing grabs and judo and jujitsu. It made everything worse. So now all of a sudden, because of all that nasty binge eating food, my body felt like crap. Quality of my life was terrible. When I was obsessed with the sugary foods, I would have coffee. Basically, it was a little bit of coffee with the cream and half the cup was sugar. And so I'm fascinated by the term moderation. Is it necessary for someone to have an all or nothing mindset? I don't have and I don't recommend my clients have an all or nothing mindset. Now, I will preface that with the fact that there could be trigger foods for people. Trigger foods? What's a trigger food? So like if someone has a bag of Doritos or Snickers bars and they literally have no self-control with it, then I think that it is okay to say that's a trigger food. It's better off to just not have it available. Don't have it in your house. Years from now, if you feel okay with that, having that in your house and you can, you know, once a week go and have a little bit of a snicker bar, then that's huge growth. And you are on the road to healing your relationship with food. But if there are foods that have power over you, then I think that for the time being, it's better to not have them around. That being said, I don't think that there is a pass or fail when it comes to nutrition. I think that it's about having things that you enjoy in your life that aren't necessarily doing you a disservice or unhealthy, but they may not be as lean as chicken breast or something. If you want to have a couple chips at, you know, Mexican food and you can have control over that and that's what you want to indulge in, I think that's great. Because if you are too restrictive, that's what brings on the binge eating most of the time. How do you get the control though? I mean, because you hear people talk about it like, hey, you know, control your eating, moderation. Like, how do you get on the path of just having self-control when all you've done is just because we have a pattern. We have a habit. We've created a habit for ourselves, a lifestyle habit. It's like, all right, I wake up in the morning. I'm going to have X amount of coffee. I'm going to have X amount of sausage, eggs, and cheese, whatever. And you just have these routine, routine foods, you know, at certain points of the day. Just like when I wake up in the morning, I'd smoke three, four cigarettes, you know, in a given time, drink a cup of coffee. So we have these routines. So how do you? What's an approach or a tip or any kind of recommendation that you would give to someone who doesn't really have that self-control? Interesting, because you say that you would have these habits, right, that would start first thing in the morning, whatever. Those are negative habits, right? So your habit sacking without <laughs> knowing it, they're just yeah. not positive habits. Right. So you hear coaches talk all the time about habit stacking. Well, people are always habit stacking. They're just negative habits. So when you replace a negative habit with a positive one, all of a sudden, you're changing out these habits. You're still habit stacking, which you've always done. They're just healthier ones. So like a non-negotiable for me is before I have a cup of coffee, I have 40 ounces of water every morning. Non-negotiable. I've done it every single day for two years. And once you do something like that, and you reinforce a positive, non-negotiable habit in your life, everything else is going to want to follow suit, right? So you're not going to wake up and smoke three cigarettes and not eat, drink any water and not eat clean 
and then go kill it in the gym and run six miles. You're going to feel like trash. So I believe that when you start replacing these bad habits with positive ones, just one at a time, and then in two weeks, do another one. It's going to transform your everyday life because all of your habits are going to follow suit in being the healthiest version of yourself. I like the habit stacking. So can we just talk a little bit more about habit stacking, positive habit stacking? I have 40 ounces or 32 ounces of water. Then I'm allowed to have my coffee. So you put a little, you know, you put those nice conditions, but they're positive conditions. Little challenges throughout yes. the day. So I like to actually start the night before because the night before God knows what comes that night, right? You might not sleep. You might have sick kids. You might, who knows? So night before I usually go through, decide what my food is going to be for tomorrow because if I wait and then I'm starving, I'm going to grab whatever's in the fridge and not care if it's Snickers or chocolate, strawberries or whatever. So Very I'm going to nice. be intentional about my meals the night before. I'm also going to set out my workout clothes because if they're sitting there staring at me when I wake up at five in the morning, I'm a lot more likely to put them on. And if I wait until I have a rough night or I hit the snooze button five times, I'm not going to want to go and get my workout clothes out. But if I know that they're sitting there waiting ready, I'm a lot more likely to put them on and get to the gym. So I like to have an intentional mindset the day before. That way it already sets my morning up for success. Do you have a morning routine? I do, actually. So (laughs) I, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. I actually wake up. I used to wake up at four to get to the gym by five. Now my husband and I have switched gym schedules, but I still wake up about five o'clock because I call that my me time. I have one hour before I have to talk to anyone, be mom. I get to just sit in the quiet or watch trash TV and have my me time of being completely mindless because I don't get to do that the rest of the day. So I wake up, I have my one hour of me time and then I have my water and my cup of coffee on my way to the gym. I go and work out. And then I usually eat about an hour to an hour and a half after I lift. Got it. How important is me time? I think it's tremendously important, especially for moms, because you give yourself to your kids all day long. And after they go to sleep, you're doing the housework, you're doing stuff for school the next day. So I think it's tremendously important. I usually have the one hour in the morning and then my gym time is my me time. If I do not work out, if I do not lift, I'm not the same person. It's such an outlet of stress for me, especially now that I'm coaching with clients because I'm pouring myself into them as well. And if I don't kind of fuel myself with a good workout and get my headspace clear, I'm not the best nutrition coach. I'm not the best mom. I'm not the best wife. So I think that everyone needs that. So you definitely show up for your clients. You know, the fact that you have a morning routine that's self-care based, that's huge. Most people, they just wake up and they start to be in a very reactive state. They look at the phone, get the notifications, check email. And so they're already playing defense and there's nothing 
in my opinion, that's fulfilling throughout their day because you're always reacting to something. You're so, waking up in a state of stress, really. Yes. So when you don't give yourself the opportunity to be yourself and have that, those quiet moments, have you discovered or identified any negative eating patterns that happen as a result of not having a morning routine, not planning the night before, not taking care of yourself. How does that impact someone's food choices or maybe their health and wellness? I think it impacts it a lot because it also lets you kind of start the day in a calm mind space, right? So like if you wake up to screaming kids, you're automatically stressed. I know I would be. So if I don't have that time of just being with my thoughts in a quiet, dark house in the morning, and then I go get my lift on, I can't handle the stresses of life as well. That being said, a lot of people and a lot of my clients who don't set themselves up for success and kind of habit stack their day, have a morning routine, things like that, if they have a tendency to overindulge or binge eat when they are stressed, that's the first thing they go to. They're not going to get stressed and go, you know what? I mean, we've all heard it. I've had a stressful stressful day. I deserve a glass of wine. Yeah. Or I've had a stressful day. I deserve to have, you know, eight scoops of ice cream. But why don't we say, I've had a stressful day. I deserve to go for a walk by myself and just get some movement in. I mean, that's so much more stress relieving than going and binge eating or having three drinks and falling asleep. I mean, that's not actively doing anything to help you combat the stress that's covering it up with a negative habit. And it's not actually going to alleviate any of the things that are going on in your life that's causing the stress. It's not attacking those obstacles. It's covering them up and most likely making them worse. I like that. So how do you balance being an an athlete, a mother, and a wellness entrepreneur? It's a lot. (laughs) I mean, you have your personal time, then you have to give yourself to your kids, but then also you're a wife. I I hate using labels like this right here, but I don't have any other nice way of. Well, it's true. I mean, it's all, they're all a job, right? And first of all, my kids come first. That's always been, you know, my number one. Is it hard sometimes? And do I struggle putting them first sometimes? Absolutely. Because Sometimes they're at school and I feel like I don't need to figure out dinner or don't need to do school stuff because they're at school. Well, really, I need to make sure that I have them completely lined out. I'm very type A, by the way. So it's kind of one of my habits is having everything lined out, all my T's crossed. But after they go to school is work time. That's when I give myself to my clients. Most of the time, Now I'm blessed because my kids are in school. But before, when they weren't in school, I was working out at four in my garage. And I did that for four years because that's when I could get it in. Because you have to prioritize what's important to you, right? So like working out and getting my lift in was hugely important. But I had babies at home and they weren't in school. So 4 a.m. was the only time I could get it done. So that's when I did it. So I think that you learn to prioritize, obviously, what's important. So when my kids are out of school, that's what's important. When they're in school, then I go to my clients 
they get my one-on-one attention as much as they need. My coaching is pretty 24-7 with my one-on-one clients, so they can text or call me at any time. So that's kind of my during school hours. I really have learned to time block my days because that's how I'm most efficient. And then after the kids get out, three days a week, we come here and they roll with you. And every once in a while, if I have to take a call or respond to an email during that, then I will because my kids are busy. They're doing their thing, but I try to be as attentive as I can. And then, yeah, I mean, if I have to take a call or something after the kids go to bed, then then I do. But I really tried to prioritize my time well so that I can be all these different people in the most efficient time frames of the day as possible. That is a massive juggling act. Athlete, mother, wife, entrepreneur, there's a lot. And then there's another thing too. Then there's the whole family time together. So you have time with your, you know, time with yourself, time with the kids, and then time with your husband, time with your everyone. And then it's like, all right, now we have to all come together and do something together as a family. So that's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes on in there and it can be stressful. And during those times, because of a time crunch, two things stand out. Number one, you use time blocking, which is really nice. And then you also said that you prioritize, you know, and I think that is an an incredibly important aspect of living your life and also honoring yourself is just saying, okay, these are the things that are important to me. I'm going to make time for these things right here and I'm going to do them to the best of my ability. And so for anyone who's listening, who have children and you want to do a couple other things, like maybe start a business or maybe start working out, she's getting up at 4 a.m. And so if it's something that's important, you'll find a way to make it happen. All right. I have a question for you then. Why is it so important for you to be healthy? Like, why? Why even care? It's funny. Someone asked me, a neighbor, actually, a while ago. They said, are you still working out every day? They said, yeah. And he goes, why? And I kind of laughed and go, how is that even a question? First of all, have you seen our diabetes rate and our heart disease rate, especially in women? No. What is it? It's insane. And those two are so preventable. I mean, you're eating your way or having negative habits that are contributing for you to have diabetes and it could kill you. So like for me, I have these kids and I say they're a priority, right? Right. As would any parent. Are they really a priority if I'm not making myself as healthy as I can be so I can run around with these kids until I'm old and dead? I mean, I'm not trying to die at 50. So I have to be proactive to be as strong and as healthy as I can to set a good example for my kids to want to be strong and healthy because they will, they will mimic the habits that we set for them. Yes. What are your thoughts? Start like, what are your thoughts on starting kids on a healthy relationship with food at the age of? let's say three years old, like when, better question, let me just rephrase that. When is it appropriate or when do you suggest we start to have these conversations with our kids about food? As early as possible. I think that children have habits too, right? It's like why we sleep train. 
Okay, your kid's not sleeping through the night. We're going to train them to be able to cope with the fact that they woke up and need to get themselves back to sleep. That's a habit that they learn. Okay, so if they're learning negative habits or negative mindset because mom's always talking about how she can't eat this or how this is off limits or she hates her body or whatever, these things are getting planted into your kid's head from two, three years old. So I think that if you... As soon as they're eating food, you're having these conversations and they don't have to be super formal. But now my daughter, who's seven, Reagan, she's so interested in, I'm going to go to jujitsu. So I need to make sure that I have a little bit of a carp because that's going to give me energy. And what does my plate look like? Because there's this, this other method of we sit, we call build your plate, which I really recommend to moms with kids. This is what your portion of carbohydrate should look like. This is what your, your portion of protein and your fat should look like. So this is what your entire plate should look like to have a nutrient-packed, healthy meal. So I think that the sooner we start having these conversations with our kids, the better because they won't be raised with these automatic restrictions on their diets and on their bodies and on their relationships with food. But they're going to be educated and knowing what these these nutrients do for your body rather than putting them in a box of what's good and bad or off limits. And then they are able to make educated decisions. I'm going to go play or I'm going to go to jujitsu or whatever, go to work out. So I don't think that it's probably the best decision to have a Snickers bar right now because they know this education about food and nutrition they can now make those decisions for themselves at a young age and what's going to fuel their body best for whatever they're doing. How much of a role does it play for the parents to practice what they preach in relation to, you know, their kids? I know you'll hear parents don't do this, don't do that, don't do as I do, do as I say. And I am personally a big proponent of health and wellness. And before I ask my kids to do anything, I make sure that I've been doing it a long time, almost as a as a counter argument. So they can't tell me I can't do it. I steal their excuses. And so if I'm jumping in a cold plunge before I ask them to do it, I'll just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And then they watch me do it over an extended period of time. And I said, there may come a time where I ask you to come join me. It's your call if you want to do it or not. But they know that I'm bought in. That's the biggest thing. So there's, I have credibility just because I'm actually walking the walk, talking the talk. How important is it for the parents, if they're going to insist that their kids are healthy, that they actually lead a healthy lifestyle and they're actually practicing a healthy lifestyle? Or could you get away with bullying the kid in a way where you just say, hey, you're going to do this. And I sit here and gorge. I think it's incredibly important because your kids don't want to just like, I really want to do what mom and dad say, because that's what they said. They want to be like you, right? I mean, kids want to be like their parents. Little boys want to be like their dads. So if they're seeing these habits that you're asking of them, but you are not partaking in, it's monkey see, monkey do, right? So they're going to, even if you're asking them to be a certain way or eat a certain thing and you are not living that way, they pick up on that. You are who you're around. 
And that's not because people are telling them to do something. It's because people are an influence regardless of what they're saying. So people are going to, I guess, be an influence, whether it's positive or negative. But if you are not being a positive influence to your children when it comes to your nutrition and just being active, make it a lifestyle, right? Like it's not my kids want to work out because they see me loving working out. I'm not saying, oh, gosh, I I don't want to go to the gym. I hate working out. I'm torturing myself. I have to go to the gym because I ate potatoes last night. They're not seeing that negative connotation with nutrition or fitness. They're seeing a positive one because I love lifting. I love fueling my body. So when they see you having these habits and making these these choices and that you are happy about it and you have a good attitude towards it because you know that it's serving you, that's what they're going to follow. Very nice. That's very nice. So I think about the fad diet. Going back to that, what challenges have you personally faced in promoting a fad free, you know, diet free approach into nutrition? So when you think about all these people who are on these fad diets and you're the complete opposite of that, what kind of like pushback or challenges have you faced when they want to do the keto? They want to do, let's say, intermittent fasting, things that are not really, you know, sustainable for the next 20, 30 years. You know, how does that look when you face a client like that? The pushback I have is mainly because it's not flashy. It's not going to say 30 day shred, lose, you know, 15 pounds in 28 days or whatever. It's not flashy. I'm going to give you this tool. And if you want to learn and get educated in your nutrition, you can literally transform your body. But I can't do the work for you. And it's not a program that's going to do the work for you. So the pushback that you kind of see with something like this that's not a fad diet is because there's no flashy results that are being promised. Because it's literally teaching you how to be intentional and how to alter your nutrition to meet your goals. But you have to take the accountability for putting the work in. All right. So as a mindset coach, how do you address the psychological aspects of food and well-being with your clients? Because there's a physical part that they come to you with. I want to lose weight. You said earlier that, you know, there's more, there's more of an underlining reasoning behind it. So how do you address like the psychological aspects of the food and well-being? So first of all, I obviously am not a psychologist. I'm not an eating disordered specialist. So if I have a client that has those kinds of needs, they get referred out. Now, if they just have a habit of having a negative mindset with food or, you know, maybe they get anxiety around food, something like that, I really like to challenge them to have an alternate habit. So like if you find yourself getting stressed and wanting to overindulge, or if you find yourself being emotional and wanting to overindulge, when you get that, call me as your coach and let's chat or go for a walk. Fill in that space with something that is beneficial so that you can reassess and take 20 minutes to ask yourself if this maybe indulging in food is really going to help you 
in your mindset right now or if it's just a temporary band-aid for the next 30 seconds because if someone is really going to stress eat or something like that it's a very short amount of time right you're gonna go and eat a whole bag of doritos in five minutes it's not like you're gonna go you know what i'm stressed i'm gonna take two hours and make this huge meal no you want satisfaction right now so you're gonna go to the pantry and eat you know eight sleeves of oreos in five minutes flat So if you fill in that time with going for a walk or sitting and doing a puzzle with your kids, like you need to shift your go-to to to something that has a positive effect on your life. How do you put the brakes on it though? It goes back to habits and it also can go back to knowing what your trigger foods are. So if you know that you have a trigger food and you have a tendency to, to go to that, then it's a good idea to not have it around if you don't have those habits yet instilled to where you have the self-control to refrain from that. Barbecue chips are my trigger food. I cannot kettle the brain. Okay. All right. I'm not plugging kettle, but they have really good (laughs) chips and I will indulge. Look at the family size Uh bag. I'll eat clean throughout the entire day. And then that one time I'm like, oh, this is just a guilty little pleasure. And I'm just like this. And it's like, oh, this is so good. And that's it. But before I can do that, I have to first have a track record of healthy eating. And then I'll say that is my little indulging. So the way that you have your chocolate chips on your shake. Yep. My little three finger pinch. Yep. That's my little thing right there. And so, but you know, again, I, I keep it to yeah. just this. Well, I, see, th- it's interesting that you say that because actually in my coaching, I will tell my client on our first call, I go, what is your one thing that you want to include that ooh. could be a not clean thing? Is it chocolate chips? Is it one Hershey's kiss? Is it, you know, a couple tortilla chips? Something that you would love that feels like an indulgence, but that you would have control over. And I make my clients tell me one and I work it into every day if they want. I go, okay, today, this is where your chips are going to go. You get five tortilla chips at lunch or whatever, because if they feel like they still have that little indulgence, it helps them to have the control because they know that they can still have it. They just can't lose control with it. So I like to work those into their days because then they still feel like they can have a little treat every day. So what benefits do you believe a healthy relationship with food brings to people and even communities? I think that when you have a healthy relationship with food, it kind of rolls into every area of your life, right? So now you're not, you're not getting stressed in social social situations. You want to get to the gym because you are eating good. The next thing is working out. They go hand in hand. We all know that. But I think that when you change your relationship with food and kind of the negative connotations that come with maybe eating clean or being in the gym, you know, people kind of downplay that now. Like, oh, you don't want to indulge with me? Like, come on, you can just have one. It's okay. Just have some pizza or whatever. And I feel like you kind of almost get bullied for not being unhealthy today, which is interesting. But I feel like when you have healthier habits and a healthier community, we have healthier people, right? I mean, because 
most of the time you don't see someone out there killing it in the gym and then going and smoking eight packs of cigarettes because that doesn't align with the rest of their life. So I think that when you fix healthy relationships like with food or with the gym or with, you know, diet culture statuses, then it helps you to have a positive outlook on what you're doing for your body instead of what you can't do, right? So like, I can't have chocolate or I can't work out or whatever. So I think that it changes your mindset of being a strong person for your family, for yourself, for your community, because you are are changing your habits across the board. So along the same line in your experience, what are some of the common misconceptions that people have about nutrition and how do you dispel them? I think one of the biggest, obviously, is that less is more. I mean, the less we eat, the smaller we're going to get, right? So, which is not at all the case. And also that there has to be all these rules. Like, why can't we just focus on the fact that fueling our body comes from food and all food? I mean, carbs were bad in diet culture and in society for years and years and years. But through studies, we've learned now that they're not. They're just our source of energy. Now, the reason that people have coined them as bad is because it's really easy to overeat carbohydrates. We're talking chips. We're talking popcorn. We're talking pizza. Because grapes are carbohydrates too. But no one's getting fat from eating grapes. So I think that the bad kind of connotations that come with the whole carbs is bad thing or that carbs make you fat is probably the biggest misconception in all of diet culture. What about healthy fats compared to, let's say, bad fats? When we look at it, you'll hear people say, hey, I'm on a no fat diet. And from my personal experience, this is an incident that happened last year. As a matter of fact, I was scheduled to compete in a jujitsu competition, but unfortunately I was 10 pounds over. Now I competed in two divisions. The one division I came in at 208 pounds right on the nose. And then the next day I was supposed to do no gi and I was supposed to be at 202 pounds. Right. I didn't know that there was a difference. You know, it was an complete oversight. It was my first time. It was like it was it was an oversight. But still, I should have shown up on point. And that was my mistake. So just long story short, I was 10. You know, that later on that night, I indulge and we're just eating food. I don't drink alcohol. So just really just eating, eating out. And I weighed myself and I was like, oh, my God, I'm 10 pounds over. I'm 10 pounds over and I need to lose this weight. I have 10 hours. I have 10 hours to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to get disqualified. I called up Cornelius and I said, hey, Cornelius, I'm in a really, really bad pickle right now. I need to lose 10 pounds and I only have 10 hours. Do you have anything that you would suggest? He goes, absolutely. Grab a gallon of water, buy five avocados, and then buy a jar, no salt, no sugar, peanut butter. This is an extreme fix. This is not, I am not advocating this at all. I just have to say this. So I have healthy fats and water. I consumed all of it. And while I, I also put psyllium husk in a drink as well, just to help flush things out. 
I came in at 201 pounds. And so that started to make me think, what is the relationship between healthy fats and weight loss versus bad fats and weight gain? And so I don't understand the science behind it. And I don't know if you have come across or have looked into this, but do you find that if you were to stack healthy fats that it can lead to weight loss? So this kind of raises a couple interesting points. <laughs> I'm looking at your face. <laughs> I, that was, I, I appreciate you allowing me to indulge, to give a little bit of a background and then make the statement. Typically, no. I'd like to make the question and then background, but. I love it. So this is kind of twofold. One, there's a huge, and this is, I guess, a mixed conception too. There's a huge difference in weight loss and fat loss, right? So like, ooh, (laughs) okay. a lot of people say like, I want to lose weight. Well, what does that mean? I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that will make you lose weight, but they also won't allow you to exercise while you're on this program because your calories are so low. It's not going to compensate for your exercise because you probably are losing weight because you're losing muscle, not just fat. So losing weight and losing fat are two completely different things. The goal in body recomposition, which is everyone's goal, right? Which a lot of people don't understand is they want to be toned, which doesn't necessarily mean skinny. Toned actually means that you have muscle underneath the fat layer that you're revealing. So Body recomposition, which is the goal, is to up your muscle percent, your skeletal muscle mass on your body. We want to get that higher and get our fat percentage of our body lower. So you don't want to just lose weight. You want to lose fat. First of all, in that that story, you didn't lose eight pounds of fat Agreed. in 10 hours. You may have lost weight, which could be your body was holding on to it from stress, could be water weight, could have been sodium, all that water flushed that sodium out, could have been a little bit of fat from the food that you ate, but most likely your body just held on to bloating and water weight because you indulged in foods that you don't normally indulge in. It takes almost 3,000 calories above your maintenance calories, which you would probably be roughly around, I don't know, 25 to 3000 calories for you to maintain the physique that you have and just walk around and function and digest your food all day. It would take almost 3000 calories over that 25 or 3000 already to gain a pound of body fat. That's the science behind it. So if people go, oh, I went out to dinner, I'm going to be five pounds heavier tomorrow. So unless you ate 7,000 calories at dinner, you aren't going to gain a pound of body fat tomorrow. So that being said, there's a difference in weight loss and fat loss. Second of all, I think that healthy fats absolutely should be in your diet. However, just like the carbs in white rice is going to be maybe better than the carbs in a McDonald's cheeseburger. There's going to be a difference in the fats that come from pizza and the fats that come from an avocado. Not in the sense that maybe your body knows the difference. Maybe it does. Maybe it processes it better. But those are a lot of oils 
and processed and the fat content in a slice of pizza is probably four times the amount that's in half an avocado. So I think you really have to look more at the fact of how much fat does that fast food, greasy, oily food have in it rather than what's in the fat content of my healthy fat and not saturated fat. How hard is it to lose fat? I guess it depends on your your strategy, right? So like if you are eating in a calorie deficit, we all know that's how you lose weight, right? Is you're eating less than your body is burning. Your body is in a calorie deficit stage. So if you're in a calorie deficit and you are strength training or working out of some kind, it really comes down to if you're adherent. Your body is going to lose the fat. The science adds up. It all comes down to math. If you're eating in a surplus, you're not going to lose weight. If you're eating in a calorie deficit, you're going to lose weight. It all comes down to calories in, calories out. How much role, how much of a role does working out play in fat loss? Assuming that we're eating McDonald's, but then right afterwards we're going to work out and that you, you'll see that. So there's, there's an interesting thing that I noticed. There's people who eat let's say, undesirable food, at least undesirable to me, let's just say high, bad fat calories, very void of any nutritional density in the foods versus someone who restricts their eating, they work out and they immediately go to Starbucks for a real sugary cappuccino drink. I see a lot of, unfortunately, women going right out to Starbucks and then getting a nice caramel macchiato and indulging that. And I noticed that, you know, there's not really a lot of weight, muscular gains and weight loss because they're not really fueling their bodies with the appropriate nutrients right after the workout. So you got two different types of people. You have the people who are going to eat bad food and work out. And then you have the people who are not eating any food and then they work out. What are your thoughts on those two different case? You know, because we got two different case use or use cases there. I think the the main difference is that if you're going to work out and then you're going to, you know, go get Frappuccino or something, you're still intaking those calories. So like just because it's a drink doesn't mean it doesn't count as calories. So like to me, I would rather eat 700 calories than I would have a Frappuccino that's 700 calories. There's no nutrition in it. It's not doing anything to fuel the workout that I did. It's not repairing my muscles. It's not replenishing my glycogen stores. It's not benefiting anything that I did in the gym. So for me, you're going to take in those calories regardless. So it's kind of why I don't drink alcohol as well. I don't, it, it's not conducive to me to use those calories for a drink. Interesting. So what are your thoughts on counting calories? I think that counting calories, I mean, it goes hand in hand with macro tracking because you have a set calorie number. But where macro tracking, I think, is superior superior to just calorie counting, if I'm, say, 120 pounds, but I'm just calorie counting and not knowing it, I'm only taking in 80 grams of protein a day, I'm not going to build any muscle. And like we said, fats take 
twice as long to burn than carbs and protein. So if 90% of my diet is coming from fats, we're talking coffee creamers, we're talking olive oils, peanut butter, salad dressings, all the things that you think are super clean. If your fats are astronomical, then they're going to take up 90% of your, your calorie allotment and your protein is going to be completely suffering. So I think that that's where macros are, I guess, more efficient because they're really making sure that you're getting that protein in and just getting a little deeper on what your body uses those macronutrients for and what the proper split of them is. Good. So this is there there's a lot of education in what you're saying right now. How can parents actively contribute to fostering a positive food environment for their kids? Because there's you know, I listen to you and you have so much knowledge and you're going to be able to really communicate that to your kids. But for someone who doesn't have that background that education, the certifications, or maybe the experiences that you have had that led you to who you are right now, how can they start to foster a more positive food environment for their kids? Because as you know, there are a lot of young teenage girls who are struggling with various eating challenges, you know, whether it's bulimia or anorexia. I'm not sure if any of any others that are out there, but it's just that's where we are right now. So what can a parent do? I think, first of all, educate yourself. You need to be educated, not just what's clean, what's unclean, or that's bad for you, or what's off limits. But what do these these macronutrients do for your body? And what does that look like? And if you don't know and, and can't find the resources, get a coach. Have a coach coach you and and educate you, and then you can educate your kids. Because it's so important for them to be able to, I guess, decipher how to fuel their own bodies from a young age, because they'll take these habits into adulthood. So like I said earlier, now my my seven-year-old can make informed decisions on what her her meals should look like rather than me maybe making them for her. Because I've talked candidly about nutrition with her. Very nice. And so with the kids growing up, how important is it for them to cook their own food? Ooh, I like this one. My daughter has just started to cook with me and she loves it. I think it's important because kids need to know what's going into their food. I think they need to be informed. I'm not one to to kind of put the blindfold on my kids. Like when we're going to the doctor's office, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, no, everything's going to be fine. You're not going to get a shot. No, I'm telling them exactly what's happening because they need to be informed. They're going to be adults. They need to be able to handle situations. So I think that we've kind of done our kids a disservice in trying to protect them so much or or keep things from them so much that they aren't equipped to be self-sufficient a lot of times. So I think that if they are cooking with you and learning what's going into their food, it helps them to be informed and they're going to pick up on those habits, right? So if they're not cooking with you and seeing that you're maybe using an avocado spray instead of a ton of butter in a pan, they're going to pick up on those habits without even knowing it. But if they don't see you cooking and you're not engaged with them in the kitchen, then 
they're not going to know these habits. So they're going to go to whatever they see on TV or, you know, just like with anything else, they're going to pick up habits that they see you doing. So if you are including them, just like if you include them in working out with you, they're going to learn these habits and replicate them. That's right. And speaking of working out, how often should kids work out in your opinion? I think that they should be active daily, obviously. As far as like a structured exercise, my kids do three to four days a week. I have a five and a seven-year-old. Now, I will say with that, we do lots of family walks. So like after dinner, let's go for a walk to help our food digest better. So I think that it's important too to have just an active lifestyle so that it doesn't seem like a job to go to the gym or to work out. It's just part of their life. These are wonderful tips. And not like, oh, we just had a big dinner, so we need to go walk it off. That's a negative connotation with food, right? So like, hey, I feel kind of like we just ate dinner and I feel kind of like being lazy and sitting on the couch. Maybe we should take a walk to help our body digest our food better. That's a more positive connotation of what you're doing for your body rather than what you should do against your body because you're punishing it for eating. Understood. It's these really subtle things that we say to ourselves and also think that has a a strong impact on how we view our relationship with food. It's like, what are you telling yourself? And it's not even just what are you saying? It's how you're saying it too, because you can rephrase it in a more euphemistic way where it has a positive spin on it or a negative one. Like I'm not, pun- I'm going to punish myself. I, I can recall, and, and you know how this is, you know, I'm sure by talking with your clients, you en- engorge yourself, you, you know, gorge yourself with food. You feel like crap. And then you say to yourself, and I've done this. It's like, man, I have to work out now because I feel really bad about all the stuff that I did. And of course, when you work out and the workout is not that good mm-hmm. <laughs> to begin with. And then it's, I promise I won't do this again until you have that same conversation again. And so we're really getting into habit forming. It seems like that's such a huge role because we keep reverting back to our old habits and our old routines. And it's so important to, I like the habit stacking. And I keep coming back to you on this one right here because New Year's resolutions, they don't, I think they are a complete joke. And so how do we change 20, 30, 40 years of habits and then one moment, you know, one day we're just gonna all of a sudden snap our fingers and now we're healthy eating again. So for people with New Year's resolutions, when should they start? It's we're in the end of November, New Year's, obviously next year, January. When should someone start their New Year's resolution? So I'm not the like January one, sign up. I believe that when you are wanting to make a healthy change, it starts now. So start with your next meal. Start with get your workout tomorrow. Like there's no reason to. It's funny when I was a kid and we instill this in our kids. I'm from kind of a little podunk town in California, but very country. My dad would not count. Okay. He would count to one because he's not going to give his kids 10 seconds to continue to be disobedient. 
I'm going to count to one. You have one second to fix yourself because I'm not going to knowingly give you 10 seconds to continue to be disobedient. Right. So it's the same thing with your nutrition or your exercise. Why would you, if you're wanting to change your body and your habits and your health, why are you going to say, oh, I'm going to just eat like trash for the next two weeks and then I'm going to be really good? Why do you want to do that to your body and further down this hole of being unhealthy before you just take action? It sounds like someone, I think an analogy is just like, I'm going to get myself out of debt. And then you go charge, you know, $20,000 right. on top before of it. You do it. it. Before you do it right mm-hmm. there. It's like, okay, now I'm going to get myself back in order. And you hear people talk about like, oh, you know, the holidays. Yeah, I, you know, I'll start, you know, after the holidays. And that tells me right then and there, they're not going to be successful because they haven't made a definitive decision to say, all right, it starts today. I'm not going to wait 20, 30 days or months from now starts today. So for people who have New Year's resolutions or at least aspirations of experiencing weight loss and fat loss, what are like some one, two, threes that you would be able to share with people to help them stay on track with their journey of losing weight as well as losing fat? I think as far as like the holidays go, I think it goes to being this all or nothing mindset. One, either we plan on being just completely out of control all holidays. Like for the next two months, we're just going to be complete animals with our nutrition. Either there's that (laughs) mindset or there's the mindset that what, three, four, five holiday meals you think is really going to destroy the habits and the work that you put in now. Like it's a couple of meals out of a hundred It's not going to delay any progress. So I think that if you have this all or nothing mindset and it's so black and white, that's what keeps people from starting now because they go, well, I can't eat Christmas dinner if I start now. Yes, you can. It's one meal. It's not going to derail anything. So I think for one, decide what your goal is and be realistic with it. A realistic goal is not, you know, 30 pounds in a month. Okay. That's not a realistic goal. Why don't you do a mindset goal or in the new year or in the month of December before the new year? I'm going to be intentional about my eating. I'm going to pre plan what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Make these small life changing habits before you start doing something maybe drastic or even if you're, you know, doing a diet or if you're tracking macros or whatever. I think if you start with just evaluating your goal and making it more lifestyle driven than a number driven, right. you're way more likely to succeed than if you were to say I have to lose 30 pounds by this date. So it needs to be lifestyle mindset driven rather than a number driven. Okay. Someone is on their new journey and they overindulge one night, go out, hang out with their friends, pound down some drinks, gorge themselves on uh, some Amelie's baked goods. (laughs) 
and now it's the next day. How do you help them get back on track? You just, so the, the big misconception is tomorrow I need to be super like low on calories, right? Because I just completely went crazy tonight. That's going to get you in that guilt mindset around food. So the next day, you just go back to eating the way that you have been. You don't need to restrict anything. You don't need to decrease your calories. You don't need to cut anything out just because you had a night to where you were out of control or, you know, had an episode of having too much. You were stuffed. I tell my clients that next morning, be super intentional. So plan out your entire day of your eating that morning before you even start, before you have your coffee, plan out your whole day, knowing that yesterday was a wash. You're not punishing yourself. You don't have regrets because you're not going to give food that power over your attitude for the next day, right? So as long as you go into the next day being intentional and just going back to normal, there's nothing out of the ordinary that you would need to do. Got it. And so moving forward, where would you like to see health and wellness in the United States? Like what direction would you like for the United States to start to lean towards as it relates to health, wellness, specifically with women, females? I would love to see the social norm of being your smallest self go away. I think that we get so lost in trying to be small, especially as women, that we lose sight of how freaking cool it is to go and like sling weights in the gym. Like there's nothing that makes you feel stronger than slinging around some heavyweights. Nothing. So I think, and you can't do that as your smallest self. So I think that if we shift that mindset as a society in the country, women not being, I guess, put into a box of being small and tied to a treadmill to try to be thin and lean all the time and more focused on just being healthy and being your strongest self, I think that that would do wonders too for our society and our community because there's a lot of things that strong women can only do. And I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are strong women. And when they really step into their power, I feel like as a society, we grow. And when women are put into a box, that's kind of taken away. And I think that we have been kind of constrained for so long, especially as women, of wanting to be this small, quiet person. And so, yeah, I just think that if we can just breed these just kick butt daughters who want to be strong, our whole society will change. I totally agree. So what advice would you give a young woman over 18 navigating societal pressures around body image and diet culture? It's an important age. There's a lot of noise out there, right? So like either you need to look like a Victoria's Secret model and there's a lot of rules with come with that, right? So like you can't eat this, can't eat that. It's very low calorie, do 100 hours of cardio a day. Or there's this complete opposite end of the spectrum of love your body no matter what shape you're in, which I agree with. But it also can lead to a severely unhealthy 
relationship with food, one, and just your health. So we have this kind of break in societal norms now to where we're glorifying being unhealthy and a negative and overweight and heart disease and all of that is being glorified in the name of loving yourself. Or there is this, we need to be this, you know, super skinny person all the time. So I think that if ladies just navigated by having a healthy mindset and in a powerful mindset, right? what can I do? How strong am I? And what does that look like for me? So like if you are 115 pounds and that's a healthy weight for you and you feel strong, great. If you feel strong at 165 pounds and that's a healthy weight for you, great. So I think that it needs to be less black and white, not one size fits all. There's a lot of people, I have a client who her healthiest weight is like 160 because she is a cyclist and she's got just these gnarly muscular legs because she cycles a lot. She'll never be 120 pounds. It would be unhealthy for her. So I think that girls need to realize when they're young, especially teenage years, that they don't need to fit into a little societal box of what is healthy or what is strong or expected. That looks different for everyone. How much does food impact someone's mental and emotional state? You hear women talk about, I'm hangry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about that because I have to eat every two hours. (laughs) (laughs) But to go back on just seeing these women with these perfect bodies and you know, a lot of people don't realize it's completely photoshopped. What they also don't think about, even if they weren't photoshopped, is most of them are completely unhealthy. Like to have a body like that, even if they were real, a lot of times it's completely unhealthy. So I think that that's when it takes, you need to evaluate your desire. Are you desiring to be healthy and fit? Or are you desiring to have a body and a physique that is going to literally emaciate all the nutrients in your body, your productive systems, your hormones, everything. So I think that it's important to evaluate someone's goal there. Like, am I just looking for that physique and willing to do anything that I have to to get that? Or is my goal to be healthy and fit? And to go with that, I think that food has a lot to do with your mood. Also, if you're fueling things that are into your body that are going to be conducive to your day and having a good breakfast, not waking up and having cereal in the morning, you know, like what you put into your body is everything. It powers your brain function. Literally, food powers your brain function. So I think when you take that into account and that is what you think about, what is this food doing for my body right now? Is it going to power my workout? Is it going to power my brain function for my test at school? Cereal's not going to do that. So I think that, you know, when you are fueling your body correctly, everything falls in alignment. Your mood is going to be better because you feel better. You're energized. If you eat like trash and you go and have, you know, eight things off the menu at Jack in the Box and you feel like trash, you're going to want to go take a nap. 
You know, you're not going to want to be productive. So I think that it goes into play in the rest of your day, really. I can totally see that. And it's sad that we don't have the education that we used to have when we were in high school, really in just middle school, high school, there was classes that would teach you about health, wellness, fitness. And a lot of those programs have been removed and now it's been put upon, you know, the parents, which it should have been there to begin with. But now you have parents who don't have the know-how, let alone the time worst case, the discipline to put themselves in a situation for where they're set up for success so they can lead by example with their kids. Well, and all these parents were raised in diet culture. So we're all reverting back to what we know. And then now we're passing it on to our kids who are going to be and now another generation of this diet culture. One interesting topic I would love to talk to you about the use of gluten and processed, you know, like additives and preservatives and how that plays a role in someone's ability to gain weight or lose weight. You know, that's another future conversation. Okay, I'm excited. (laughs) Well, I am gluten-free, so I'm excited for that one. Same here. So before we leave, I wanted to ask if there is anything that you would want to share to women, mothers who are struggling with weight loss, daughters who are watching their mothers struggle as well, and they're about to join the party as well. Then you have the uh, the teenage girls who are looking at images of women that they could never, ever emulate. So this is just a general wellness, health, fitness message to those females. What would you want them to know? I think I would just say that if the that's something that you desire and you feel lost, reach out. There are so many good free education services now, especially on Instagram, or if you were really wanting to dive in and go into an actual nutrition education, you can. But just educate yourself. Figure out the science behind it. Just because someone says that something's bad for you, don't take their word for it. Do the homework. Look into it. Figure out what a healthy relationship with food and a healthy weight looks like for you or for your daughter. And I think that if you just take so much pressure off yourself and focus on being your healthiest self, then you would be light years ahead of all the fad diet culture that's going on, especially in our country. And also setting a great example for your daughters as they grow up to not have these same issues that you struggled with. And on that note, how can people get in contact with you if they were interested in taking on your services at Macro Built? I usually drive everyone to my Instagram just because it has the link to my website there. It's at macro underscore built, B-U-I-L-T. So if you go there, like I said, you can get access to my website, all my different coachings. I have a meal guide on there that you can access. Obviously, messaging with me, my email is there. And I also share lots of free tips, reels, tracking tips, grocery store hauls. So you can find all that information on my my Instagram page. Great. Everyone, I want to offer a sincere thank you to Chelsea of MacroBuilt for her words, her tips, recommendations, your story. Very, very inspiring from where you were 
to where you are right now and how you're empowering the lives of literally hundreds and hundreds of women who would not, who absolutely would not have that ability to move forward in a positive way without your help. And so you have her Instagram. Please make it your, you know, make it a point to reach out to her. And remember your path to healthier you begins with understanding. Until next time, this is Renard. You're rolling real with Renard signing off. Take care guys.